Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a really quick reminder that the second season of Ruins of Empire is just about to get rolling, and to help support it and the Ruins of Empire series in general, I've got a pre-release campaign rolling on Kickstarter.com. Just go there, search for Ruins of Empire before October 23rd, and reserve your paperback or hardback copy of Ruins of Empire 2, Templum Venerous. Or you can just throw in a dollar and help keep this free podcast novel out there for people to find. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. Despite corporation efforts, Althea and Kronos managed to reach the leader of the Perfunduloi, Halifaco, where they presented evidence that the corporation was violating the agreement they had made. Althea convinced Halifaco that he should meet with the Houston to discuss an alliance against corporation forces. He agreed, but at the meeting, the Houston demanded some display that the alliance between the Perfunduloi and the corporation was truly over. Halifaco responded by slitting Sergeant Carr's throat. The Houston agreed that the negotiations could begin. Chapter 20 The corporation military effort during the height of global revolution was nothing short of astounding. Students of military strategy could spend a lifetime studying its complexity and still not completely understand its nuances. And yet, the corporation may as well have been pushing back a glacier. Their paid mercenaries were no match against the passion of the men and women in the grips of revolutionary fervor. The mercs fought for paychecks. The rebels fought for their very existence. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath Easter got up from the chair and paced around the room where the negotiations had been going steady for nearly three hours. Negotiations being a loose term for what was going on, she had seen better cooperation in a bar fight. The room was beautiful like most rooms in the Houston's palace. The walls were decorated with ornate carved wooden murals depicting humankind's ascent to the heavens, the colonialization of Titan, and, of course, the glory and supremacy of the Transplanetary Energy Corporation that made it all possible. The carvings were faded and cracked with time, as were the ornately patterned red carpet and the dark wooden table in the center. The Houston and Halifaco sat on opposite sides of the three-meter-long table, staring each other down with icy contempt. Isra stopped roughly in between the two men, placed her hands face down on the table, and closed her eyes. Houston, please, in order for these negotiations... There is no negotiation, the Houston sneered. If Perf and Duloy wish to atone for their sins against Companio... It will require 500 of their people to bring themselves to the refineries. Halifaco snapped, I will agree to nothing until you release all my people and destroy those cursed refineries. The Houston shook his head. Why can you not see? Titan suffers because of the sins you have committed. The forest you love dies, even while you argue with me, the one man who can save it. 
reputation suffers because of you. Because the time of our freedom is here. Compañillo has shown us this, and you deny it. You saw the light in the skies, and you killed the people who came out to greet them. The forest mourns my people, and Compañillo will avenge them. The Houston folded his arms, and a slight smile crossed his face. Five hundred. That is what I require to ensure Compañillo is pleased, and Titan survives. I will not discuss anything else. Halifaco jumped up and headed toward the door. I have heard enough as well. Isra hurried to stop him. Halifaco, please. Halifaco paused at the door and pointed at the Houston. This man wants nothing but death for my people. The Houston remained maddeningly serene. He looked straight ahead when he spoke, as if not even acknowledging Halifaco in the room. I offer atonement, a chance for your people to be forgiven for their many sins against Compagnio. In truth, I am in envy of you, for you will see earth long before I ever will. Halifaco drew a knife from somewhere in his cloak. It was smaller than the one he used to kill Carr, and about the size and shape of a letter opener. The warrior meant to conceal it, but Isra noted the glint in the light. As he rounded the table to lunge at the Houston, Isra stepped in front of him with her body in between the two and grabbed his wrist in a firm, bruise-inducing hold. Holding his arm with the miniature dagger still, she leaned forward and whispered, This is not the way. This man cares nothing for us. He will kill my people. And how will your people fare if you die in this room today? Give me the knife. Halafako pressed his weight against her for a second, but Isra held firm. Then he relaxed, and Isra was able to take the knife from his hand. Halafako stepped back and strolled toward his chair, watching the Houston as if just waiting for another opportunity to strike. If that is the case, come down from your shameful city. Quit pretending to be as gods and come to the refinery yourself, and I swear by Compagnio, you will see Earth before the next sunrise. The Houston bowed his head, feigning great sadness. He still refused to look Halifaco in the face. When Compagnio left this place, and the evil ones came, did not your people help them? And now that they have come again, did not your people flock to their aid? It fills me with great sadness that you cannot see the many offenses your people have committed against Compagnio. Halifaco stopped and glared at the Houston, but did nothing. Isra watched his hands, but neither of them went for another weapon. I think we are again off topic. Can we please return to the issue at hand? The Houston took a deep breath to puff himself up, going from despair to haughty condescension in an instant. He truly was the perfect politician, willing and able to display whatever emotion the situation called for while feeling none of them. He turned his head toward Halifaco. This is the only discussion at hand. If they will atone, we will accept. If they will not, then we will use force. That is the will of Compagnio, and the only law. This time, Halifaco made no attempt to hide his intentions. He glared at the Houston and marched around the table toward him. The Houston pushed his chair back, readying himself for a fight, but Isra, again, stepped in front of Halifaco, stared directly into his eyes, and said, Sit down. He paused for a moment and took his seat on the other side of the table. Isra sighed and left a pregnant pause in the room before she tried again. The issue at hand, she looked at the Houston, your city, and then at Halifaco, and your people are both under attack from an enemy you have not seen in a thousand years, if ever. 
Your only chance for survival is to work together. You must put away this ancient and archaic grudge and provide a unified force against the outsiders. It is the only way. If you do not do this, you will lose your city and your freedom. The Houston chuckled. <laughs> I have told you, there is no danger from outsiders. The sun will set, and the Venganto will drive them away. You witnessed their power during the few minutes of darkness that the eclipse provided. That was but a blink of an eye. Venganto rule the dark night, and when the sun next arises, there will be nothing left but ash. And we have the forest, said Halfago. We move through the trees without being noticed. Outsiders come, but they will die. Isra shook her head. You do not understand. Outsiders will come again. They have weapons that can level this city three times before the sun sets. And once the city falls, it is only a matter of time before the whole planet is under their control. The forests included. Please, I want to help you. The Houston smirked. We do not want your help. Companio has given us everything we need, added Halifaco. Finally, thought Isra, they agree on something. In a weird way, this was actually progress. And furthermore, Halifaco continued, if the outsiders wish to tear the city down, then they are truly sent by Companio. If those gods of the past could see how this man and his people parade around their glorious city, they would burn Titan to the ground. The Houston snarled. This city was given to us by Companio. It is their legacy and a gift to their chosen people. It was not us who turned against them. Halifaco jumped up, grabbed the end of the table with both hands, and, with a show of strength that was impressive even in Titan's gravity, flipped it so it smashed against the ornate wood carvings on the wall. We did not turn against them. You did. You soil everything they gave to us. This place, it is made filthy by your presence. I would rather see it all burn. For the first time, the Houston showed emotion that Isra believed was genuine. He jumped up with horror on his face and called at the door, Sodotaro, Venusi, stop this man, take him and throw him out. Three soldiers ran into the room and swarmed Halifaco. The leader of the forest people managed to repel one with an elbow to the face, but the other two were on him immediately and, after a short tussle and a fourth soldier running into the room, pulled his arms behind him and bound them with leather straps. There was so much anger, so much hate in this room, that Isra could feel it as a thousand tiny needle points on her skin. These two men would never come together. They wanted so much to see the other suffer that they would endure greater horrors to make it a reality. Now bound, the soldiers marched Halifaco out of the room. The Houston stood up and held up his hand. The soldiers paused for a moment. You cause me great pain, Halifaco. I love you. And your people, but you cannot see. You refuse to see. I will help you. Halafaco steeled himself for a moment and spat in the Houston's face. The Houston retrieved a small square of cloth from a pocket in his robe. Put him with the others. When the Venganto drive the strangers from the refineries, I expect him to be among the workers. Take him. Isra watched as the three soldiers started to walk Halafaco out of the ornate room. The two men were so alike. The only real divide was the fact that they held completely different and incompatible worldviews. In that way, they were the perfect symbols for the people they represented. And that was the real tragedy. 
there was only one thing that kept the two people of Titan bent on destroying each other. Unfortunately, that thing was two very different perceptions of reality. Wait, please, implored Isra, as the soldiers were a meter or so from the door. The issue at hand is the refineries. We can find a way. The Houston dismissed her with a wave. There is no point. This man, he refuses to see reason. Then let us help, Isra insisted. There is so much we do not know about how the refineries function. The truth is, neither of you know exactly how they work. The Houston sniffed. The Companio commands. Yes, yes, Isra interrupted. But do you know why? Our person researching the system is not entirely sure that they are refineries at all. The Houston said nothing, but a twitch in his mouth said that, as annoyed as he was by it, he really had no clue. Isra turned to Halifaco. Your people have been sent there to die for generations, but do you know what they are sent there to do? Halifaco shook his head. Isra walked to the head of the table. Then I suggest we build some measure of cooperation based on that, if nothing else. Combine forces and drive away the outsiders together, and we will try to provide some answers for you both. The Houston's face quickly became the definition of severe indignation. You would give sacred knowledge to this man? Isra snapped back, and why not? Was it not you who wanted to help him and his people see the truth? Did you not just claim to love them? If the wisdom of the Compagnio could help them, would you deny that to them? The Houston started to say something, but Isra turned to Halafaco and spoke before he got the chance. And you... Will you help protect this city and this world in return for some real answers? Not just words passed down, but real answers to questions you and your people have asked for generations? Halifaco, his hands still bound behind him, took a moment to look at the soldiers holding him captive, as if he were weighing a personal vendetta against the good of the planet. He turned to Isra and nodded. Houston, will you accept Halifaco and his people's aid in return for the same? The Houston looked like he was chewing on something unpleasant, but bowed his head toward Isra. Order your man to unbind his hands and seal this agreement. The Perfunduloi and the Urbanoi will work together for their mutual survival and a greater understanding about their place in the plan of the Companio. <laughs> Squinted at the hologram of Vince Laban's head floating over a projector near the keyboard of the Marquis supercomputer. How much longer till the uplink is active? We just need another hour to align the satellite. Innovation is on the other side of the moon at the moment. It just takes time. Kronos checked over his shoulder and looked back at the hologram. I'm trusting you, Laban. No tricks! You have my word, Kronos. We won't even look at the data. Your work on the fall of civilization and its causes is very valuable. And the corporation would never dream of interfering. The only thing we are interested in is the refinery schematics. They are easy to read, right? Light on the old earth technicalities? Extremely. The data I'm sending you could be used to produce a holographic replica, along with very specific readings about every piece and part in the whole facility. One could use this to teach a child to operate the refinery. Laban smiled. That's good to hear, Cronus. As soon as the uplink is up, I authorize you to store as much data as you want on our servers. And what about the refineries? 
Laban nodded slightly. You have my word. We will only take what we can. It is in our interest to keep tight in the lush, beautiful land it is now. And as the production increases, we can dedicate more resources to the maintenance and expansion of the terraforming project on Titan. Kronos touched a few icons in the air. Send me notification as soon as the satellite is in range, along with routing numbers and... Isra's voice echoed through the corridors. Kronos! Kronos switched off the holographic projector just as Isra walked into the chamber. She stopped at the catwalk and gave Kronos a quizzical look. Kronos, what were you doing? Nothing, said Kronos, trying to keep the desperation out of his voice. Just waiting for the data to compile. Taking another one at the complexities of the code. Isra started walking across the catwalk. Who were you talking to? Kronos looked back up at the screens, if only to avoid her gaze. Talking. I must have been talking to myself. I do that when I am working. I don't even know it sometimes. Isra stopped walking. Kronos, look at me. He did, and immediately regretted it. Isra had the eyes of someone who could dismantle a person's soul to see how it worked. He couldn't lie. She would be able to tell if he was lying, so he didn't. I was trying to find a safe place for everything I have found here, so that when the war you create erupts, it won't be destroyed with the rest of the planet. Isra straightened up. And what have you found? Something incredible, said Kronos. Tell me. He could no more hold back information from Isra at that point than he could resist a black hole's gravity. The code, the quantrary set of numbers between this computer and the refinery complexes. It's simple, yet brilliant. The basis of all life. Why would you not encode the instructions for a complex organic chemistry? Kronos, Isra barked. Please try to contain yourself and tell me exactly what you found. It's DNA, said Kronos, resisting the urge to add, you ignoramus, at the end. Isra blinked a few times. I do not understand. That's what I was trying to explain, said Kronos on the edge of exasperation. The code is DNA written in numbers 0, 1, 2, and 3, as opposed to A, T, G, and C. The essence of life is being transmitted at all times between these two locations. Isra's mouth moved a little as she tried to understand. But why? she asked finally. Kronos turned back to the screens. Energy! Then he spun around. He was wearing the glove like two metal vines twisting on his hand. He raised it in the air, and a hologram of Titan appeared between them, and the image zoomed in close and broke through the clouds until it showed a flyover view of Titan's forests. We are nearly one and a half billion kilometers from the sun. There is not enough energy to fuel a biosphere like this. But a thousand years ago, some genius figured out how to make Titan run on hydrocarbons. Isra shook her head. How is that even possible? How could you physically burn enough hydrocarbons to power the entire planet? Kronos grimaced as the hologram stopped over the refineries and circled there. Such narrow minds. Energy is all things. One need not burn hydrocarbons to release their power. Life itself makes a refinery flare look like a dying candle. Isra appeared at the hologram. I still do not follow. Kronos was losing his temper. These meat world humans, these people who lived in the so-called real world, had the gall to accuse his kind of having minds trapped by technology. Even someone as brilliant as Isra couldn't free her mind to the possibilities that the universe presented. Kronos got up and ran his hand through the holographic gas rising from the refineries. What Vago saw was not the gaseous waste product of the refineries. It was the product. 
a gas thick with yeast, bacteria, and other microorganisms. Kronos twisted his hand, and the hologram started flying over the forests again. These microorganisms provide the basic nutrients for the plants. The plants feed the animals that feed on the leaves. The humans feed on the animals and the fruits of the forest. The chain of life in microcosm. Easter's eyes widened. With Titan's hydrocarbons at the base. I could not have conceived anything like this. Kronos closed his hand and the hologram disappeared. Now you know. Everything on Titan depends on the refineries. If we eject the corporation, we may make things worse. Isra sighed. No, the people of Titan maintained the system for a thousand years. They can once again. Can you create some way to ensure that the people of Titan have the ability to maintain the refineries themselves? Kronos thought for a moment. The transplanetary energy tutorial, the one I played for the Houston and his soldiers, it has everything. Kronos opened his hand and the complex schematic of the refineries appeared again. Using AI voice translation, I can take the instructions left behind and produce a step-by-step -step guide. Instructions so complete and detailed that it would tell them what valve to open and when. Kronos cut himself and closed his hand, causing the hologram to disappear. Of course he could do it. A hack and slicer with his skill. He had programs so advanced that the likes of Vago could probably manage it. But he failed to see the obvious question. Why do you need this, Isra? I came here with the intention of giving the knowledge of this planet to the people of Titan. This information has hardened my resolve to do this. The people must be allowed to govern themselves. Cronus's mind went back, where he saw a car, cut, and left to bleed out on that field of horrors. The sight of Halifaco and the Houston's faces were burned into his mind. There was not a single trace of shock, horror, or even sympathy in their eyes. All they could see was death, and they were comfortable with it. Are they capable of that? Can they act beyond their own ignorance and hatred? Isra turned to leave. I do not know, but it is no longer up to us. We can protect these people from the corporation, but we can never stop them from destroying themselves, if that is what they intend to do. Kronos stared at the screen until Isra's footsteps on the middle walkway faded. He waited a few more moments for complete silence. He reached over and activated the holographic transmitter, and Laban's face appeared once again. Laban looked bemused. Everything all right? Kronos typed a few lines of code. Perfect! A perfect little world. It just needs a place to be safe. Tell me the minute the uplink is active, Laban. I'll make sure you get what you asked for. He switched off the transmitter and sat for a while. He shouldn't feel guilty anymore. Apparently, Isra was willing to hand over any and all dangerous information to any psychopath on the moon. Why couldn't he do the same? Of course, if Isra ever found out, well, at least he wouldn't be alive long enough to appreciate the true horror of it all. When the world morphed into focus, the first thing Vigo saw was Althea's face. At first, he was worried that it was just another dream, a fevered memory replayed by some demonic force in his own head to torture him. It had been an endless stream of them since he lost contact with reality near Halifaco's base camp. He was lost for so long in that world, he started to wonder if he was ever going to get back. But then, there was Althea, standing over him like a guiding light to take him home. You gave me a shard, 
asked Vega. Althea turned away to put something back in her bag. I did. I'm sorry. You should have gotten one sooner. You were well lost to us when I found you. Vega looked at his surroundings. By the plush red wall coverings, he would guess he was in the palace. He started to get up, but Althea rushed to stop him. Don't. Let the dermal mending gel do its work. If you're active too soon, you'll just rip the wound open again. Where am I? Althea brought him a cold pack. A bedroom in the palace. Here, put this on your eye. The swelling went down, but you still look bloody awful. Vigo took the pack. He winced as it touched his swollen eye. Hate to think I went and messed up my pretty face for you. I was low on options at that point. So you decided to let the Marine use your head as a speed bag? It worked, didn't it? What happened to Carr, anyway? Althea stopped what she was doing. The hand holding a syringe shook slightly. He... he... he was killed by Halafaco. To prove he was ready to ally with the Houston. Damn. I'm sorry. Althea laughed a little as she plugged the syringe into the port on his medical regulator just below the shoulder. No, you're not. He was a bastard and you wanted him dead from the moment you met him. You're not sorry. If anything, it's me who should be sorry. Why do you say that? Althea removed the syringe and sat down. I should have listened to you back on the wall before you jumped in the middle of that battle. You were right. You needed another treatment before all that happened. When I finally found you, there was almost no synoptic response. When I finally got one, you didn't know who I was. You were lucid for a short time before you dropped out entirely. To be perfectly honest, I wasn't sure you'd come back. Part of me knew that you shouldn't have gone out there in that state, but I let you do it anyway. Vago took a deep breath and stared up at the ceiling. Why did you? I guess... Part of me wanted to punish you for putting me, putting us, in this situation in the first place. That was wrong. You have a disease, and we need to find a way to treat it. Fair enough. So, where do you want to start? A warm smile crossed Althea's face. She got up and activated the screen on her Eros computer. Glad you asked. The thing I just injected you with, it helps the medical regulator penetrate the blood-brain barrier, so I can better analyze the damage to your pituitary gland. It's become clear to me now that it's reached the stage that the Triple T is interfering with your body's ability to produce endorphins. The good news is, your body is still producing them. With the right medication, I think I can encourage more production while weaning... Vago interrupted. Yeah, Althea, that sounds just wonderful. Really, I can't wait. But can I get a glass of water or something first? The back of my throat feels like the backside of a sand mole. Althea switched off the screen. Of course. I'll be right back. She walked out the door. Vago's eyes went immediately to the black medical bag. There was no way she'd leave him in the room with the triple T. He got up as fast as the pain would allow and swung his feet over the bed. Everything seemed to hurt worse now than it did when he was walking around with a chunk of metal in his side. Of course, he was so lost in the haze, he couldn't have felt a two-by-four if someone slammed him in the face with it. He got to his feet and howled over to Althea's black medical bag. This is foolish, he thought to himself. What kind of sick junkie am I? So desperate for a fix I'd go rooting around Althea's bag? Besides, there's no way. A quick search found the load of glass capsules in the side pocket. Vigo looked at them for a moment. It must be some kind of trap. Althea's way of seeing if he was trustworthy. If he had any brains, he closed the bag and lay back down. 
He took roughly half the pills and palmed them. He got back into bed and shoved the capsules under his pillow. Althea, he said to himself, I love you. I really do. But this thing ain't over yet. And this may be a terrible thing to do, but I've got to do it. I've got to stay sharp. It might be the only thing that gets us both out of here alive. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.